All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we want to kind of touch on a topic that we've both seen in practice relatively frequently, and it's the fact that people think that just doing mobility work, just doing stretching, um, and, and doing low-intensity exercise is exactly what you need. Because I don't, I don't think you guys realize that it's okay to be sore. It's okay to work hard. And as an athlete, you got to understand that you're not going to feel your best every day. And if you're working the way you should be working, you are going to have aches and pains. That's okay. And too many times we see myself personally, I see athletes that I tell them, Hey, we got to work smarter, not harder. And then because I told them that they think that they should never be sore. They should never push themselves or they should never be uncomfortable in their training. When in reality, the only way to actually build upon yourself is to be a little bit uncomfortable to push yourself to the limits. That's the only way we actually get further. It's called progressive overload. It's very common term in strength and conditioning. And the best way to you for you to excel is to continue to progressively overload the tissues. That means you're going to be uncomfortable. That means you're going to be sore. That means you're going to have some aches, but that's okay. You know, that comes from skill practice too. It's not just strength and conditioning. Like for sure. You go super hard in skill practice. Um, your body's going to adapt to that stress the same as it is with strength and conditioning. And I guess one of the points I want to make is like strength and conditioning, we can like pinpoint and try and um, isolate the type of stress we want to adapt to. Whereas in skill training, we can do that to an extent, but your body is going to be more adapting to the overall stress of the movement of the intensity of the goes of everything like that. So, um, strength and conditioning, we may be able to control more when and how and where you're going to feel sore, whereas skill practice, um, depends what you got going on, but like when it's go time, it's just go time, right? You're going to have to suck some things up and my, this and that hurts. And like, at at sometimes like, all right, get over it like, go back to practice, you know? And so I think too many people, and I don't, I don't know how to say this without coming off as like, um, insincere or whatever. I think too many people like get into the corrective exercise purgatory. And it's like, this hurts, that hurts. Everything should be exercisable away. Like every mobility exercise should be able to take away all my nicks and nags and everything. And it's like, not quite. Like sometimes you just have to suck it up and deal with it. For sure. And I've said it on the podcast before, high performance isn't healthy. If you want to be a high performer physically, that's not necessarily the most healthy thing for your body. That's not the most sustainable thing. There's a reason why the average NFL athlete, I think the actual numbers has somewhere between like eight to 12 years lower life expectancy than the regular, than an average person. I thought you were going to talk about their career longevity. It's like, no, no. it's like three years. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's legitimate. Like life expectancy drops by like 10 years Damn, because you're a high performer. You can only think about like a candle. You can either burn that really, really fast. You're here for a good time, not a long time, or you can be as sustainable as possible. You have that slow burning uh, woodwick candle that's going to be, you have eight hours guaranteed or something like that. I don't know. What's a standard? 70 hours. I think that's a standard Stop. candle length. Stop. Lisa started making candles. So I'm trying to learn all about oh it and shit so I can do God. it. Um, but yeah. So you guys, you got to understand that if or in order for you to excel in your sport, in order for you to excel as a professional athlete, you got to know that that's not necessarily the most healthy thing. And you're not just going to be able to stretch away everything. You're not going to be able to mobilize away everything. And don't get me wrong. I love mobility drills. I love 
I don't really love stretching. Stretching has a time and place, but I love mobility drills. But just like stretching, mobility has a time and place. And if that's the only thing you're doing, you're not getting enough adaptive stress to actually progressively overload the tissue and make yourself better. You're actually probably making yourself worse because you're not maintaining the strength and the power and the different conditions or the different uh, qualities that you've been building this whole time. Well, it's it's like we've said before too, where um, you're addressing the symptom, not the problem. So mm-hmm. if, if we're doing our mobility to open up a tight area or to address the pain or the acute um, problem, then like we can look at like strength training or, or like movement patterning as our cement to seal away that problem, right? Because if we have an issue, it's because we move dysfunctionally or we move for performance. Like that's a hundred percent a viable reason to have a, an issue. Like I think of wrestlers in their traps or boxers in their traps and, and like that, but we've created an issue, right? We're going to do this certain intervention to alleviate the issue, right? The story that is an end there. Like you're just, you're going to go back to whatever that is that you're doing and you're going to re-irritate the area. You're going to perform at a high level, which causes some damage to whatever specific structure you're talking about. And then you're going to try and alleviate it again. And like, as much as the alleviation part, the physical therapy, the uh, manual therapy, the everything else like helps and it should, and it can have a place. We got to do the movement patterning, the strengthening, the power training, whatever it is to help the tissue adapt and handle that stress better the next time that it sees it. Right. So that's the, that's like bread and butter for strength and conditioning coaches. Like let's open up the strength of motion. Let's get strong through it. And then let's own it so that we don't have the problems going forward. I was just explaining this actually with uh, some of my wrestlers and their ankle mobility, right? It's like stiff ankles tend to roll more. Like, I don't think that's a secret for anybody. Right. So that's why and it was one of the reasons ankle mobility is so popular. It's like, all right, now we got to mobilize this ankle and then, all right. So now if we stop there, like my ankle is just all loosey goosey and I've done a ton of mobility drills and like that ankle is going to roll too, you know? So let's get strong through each range of motion that we've opened the mobility and let's create adaptability adaptability to the angles that we're going to see when we're wrestling to when we're on the football field to when we're doing whatever. So there's, there's layers to it. And it's not just as simple as like, Oh, let me get really flexible. Can I make an addendum to what you said? Sure. Stiff ankles are typically going to be a lot more of a, like a, uh, a severe ankle sprain. Floppy ankles are going to roll more just because the tissue is more lax, but sorry, that both are suboptimal. Yeah. Both suck mobilize your ankle or stabilize your ankle or do both because strong people and efficient people and people that don't get hurt, guess what? Are typically strong. They're strong through the range of motion. They have the base layer of strength needed for that area along with the base layer of mobility. But I would argue as somebody that does a whole bunch of mobility training, I would rather my athletes be strong and I would prioritize strength over mobility in most areas. Well, and I think that's kind of the catch twenty two, right? Because strong, quote unquote, tight muscles are more high performing. Like, period. Yep. We know that they yeah. have a lot more force potential. They have more, um, I don't know, explosibility or uh, extensibility. So, yep. I mean, there, there's that too. Like, we need to adequately tighten, mobilize, or train the muscle. Right? It's not just like. All my hip flexors sore. I need to stress shit out of it. Let me stress shit out of it. Let me stress shit out of it. And then it's weak and it can't handle the three mile run that you go on the hill hike, uh, or you know, or throwing the freaking five thousand teeps 
that we drilled at practice today. Like, right. We need to build some strength there too. And, um, there's a happy balance. And I think, again, a good coach is able to identify that happy balance and see what's going on with this individual. Where are they weak? Where are they compensating? Okay, let's break it down and then let's build it back up. For sure. And kind of like not just break it down and build it back up, but what's this person in general? What are they doing with their day? And how do they move their body through everything, right? Because people always think about only practice, but what people don't necessarily realize is practice for a professional athlete, they're practicing four hours a day, maybe about yeah. accurate and five to six days a week. That's a lot of hours that they're not practicing. What the fuck are they doing in those other hours that could potentially playing into what's going on? Yeah. Because something I'm passionate about is, is neurodynamics affecting athletic readiness and affecting mobility, right? If you are sitting in a lumbar in a rounded lumbar spine, if you're practicing four hours a day and you're sitting with excessive load on your lumbar spine, don't, I don't want the pain science Nazis to come fucking after me. If you're sitting in a rounded posture, then you know, that's provocative on your neurodynamics. And then they out of nowhere, their hamstrings are tight or their ankle mobility is gone. Well, guess what? You can mobilize that ankle all fucking day. But if you don't know the cause of which is the low back and the round and sitting in the flexed posture and the neurodynamics issue, you're not going to actually be able to get into the mobility. And then on top of that, they can't activate the muscle in the best way possible. If you have a neurodynamics issue, guess what? You're probably not going to be at full firing capacity and you're not able to use the muscles in the area to be strong. Right. So, As I said, I think that's a whole lot of like a perspective shift. Like practice is not the end all be all cause of problems, of issues, of hurt, of pain, of whatever. Like it's the most highlighting thing and it's the exacerbator of the thing, but mm-hmm. it's not always the end all be all cause. Right. And that's, <laughs> I've gotten into arguments in the past where athletes think they need to take time off and I'm the healthcare provider. I'm the dude that's making sure that their, their health is good to go. And I'm like, no, go to fucking practice. (laughs) Like you don't need that. You don't need to take that practice off. And granted it, it's a struggle back and forth, right? They think they need rest. And I'm like, I I think you're being a pussy, but for the most part, it's understanding the athlete because some athletes are going to run themselves into the wall. And this conversation we're having is completely negated because they're trying to do too much. I have a couple yeah. of those, but this is are targeted towards those athletes that they've heard. Hey, I want you to train smarter, not harder. Training hard builds good. Training smart builds great. And that's just, just a common thing. But those athletes also, if you're not at the top tier, if you haven't learned how to work hard, then you can't then transition into training smart. In my mind, it's really hard to do the smart thing without understanding what hard is. Yeah. hundred percent. Like you have to be ready, willing, and able to do the shitty training and the hard training, but that doesn't mean that you're ready, willing, and able every single workout, every single day, or that's the only mode of work you need, you know how to do. We need to, again, find the optimal route, not just the hardest route or not just the easiest route. Like you said, like you adapt to what you're doing. So like if some athletes are seeing problems and like this and that sore and like, but it's only my second practice in the last two weeks. And I haven't really, it's like, you just haven't adapted to practice. Like the workload is too much. And yes, maybe you're coming in and the fire's already hot. Like pro MMA practice is a hard thing to walk into. If you've been cold, even if you have the skill set, right. If you're coming off of, uh, of a fight, you're coming off of just a break an injury, whatever you come back into it. Like the coals are still hot. Like you're not going to be able to just lazily walk back into that practice. Like you're going to get a lot of physical stress from that. 
you need to keep going to adapt to the practice. Like you're going to adapt to what you've been doing. Um, and actually one of my high school coaches put this the best way to me that it still sticks in my mind. He's like, he's like in small town, Illinois, where I'm from, like a lot of people join the military. Right. And they're doing all this physical preparation. Like I know boot camp's going to be hard. I know PT is going to be this and that. And they do all this hard physical preparation. And then they get, you know, two or three weeks from when they um, go off to camp and they're like, Oh, well, I'm just going to rest the last, last two or three weeks. I need to, <laughs> I need to recoup from all that hard training that I'm done. And it's like, no, you're setting yourself up for failure. Cause you're going to adapt to that rest. And then you're going to, depending on how long the period is, you're going to lose all that training. You're going to detrain and then mm-hmm. you'll be in a shittier spot when you go off. It's like, you need to train hard up to take maybe two or three days off or know that travel is going to do some stress or whatever. And like, I don't know, prepare accordingly, not just what you think is going to come next or how your body's feeling. Um, in the moment. Right. And I see it a lot. One, one key point that was said in MMA, like five years ago is frost. The hobby went on Joe Rogan. This is where it kind of, it didn't all start here, but this is where it got popular. He goes on there. He's like, you should never be sore. He has this stupid fucking accent. You should mm-hmm. never be sore. If you are sore, you're training too hard. You're not understanding. I'm like, you're a fucking mm-hmm. idiot. <laughs> also, he also, it was proprioception and he completely mis said the definition of proprioception, which frustrated me, but it was the, at that point in time, that was the culmination of, <laughs> Hey, MMA needs to go from a training hard moment to a training smart moment, but people didn't know how to train smart. They thought that training smart just means doing less. That's not necessarily the case. When I say train smarter, not harder, it doesn't mean do less shit. (laughs) It means maybe your periodization's off. Maybe the exercises you're choosing are wrong. Maybe the exercises you're choosing are wrong for your body, but they're right for somebody else's body. Maybe you don't, shouldn't stack certain exercises on certain days. There's a bunch of different variables that play in, right? It's not just one key thing. It's not just, oh, we got to drop the volume or, oh, we got to drop the weight. It's everything. It's a multifactorial equation that we need to find what's right for you as an athlete. Couldn't agree more. And again, it takes a skilled practitioner or a skilled person to be self-aware about that and see that or understand their body, which takes a long time in itself. And like, I think there's phases to it too, where you're starting to understand your training and I get it in the beginning. It's a mad dash to catch up right? You have to catch up to everybody else that's already more skilled than you. That's already more uh, prestigious. That's already better in shape and everything. And like, you're just putting in the hours to grind, learn the techniques, get everything down. Like you're doing the two or three jujitsu practices, you're doing the kickboxing, you're doing everything to get the techniques down. And I totally understand that grind and it's necessary in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Just like we talk about Max Holloway didn't spar before his last fight. Like, that's fucking awesome for Max Holloway. And he should and can get away with that. Like if, but if I take an amateur fighting, it's like, oh, amateur fighter. And it's like, okay, we're going to go into this fight. We're not sparring at all. You're not going to get any realistic looks and mm-hmm. to see what this is like. That's going to be a horrible recipe. Right. And I think he even acknowledges that on Joe Rogan or whenever he says it, like you need to put some of that mileage in, but you don't always and forever have to put that mileage in. Right. Once you get to the top of the pyramid, that's when you don't have to put that mileage in. It's like, like I said earlier, like once you understand what hard is, then you can then be smart. But until you understand what hard is, you're always taking it easy. You're not taking it smart. And I think that's funny too. Like if you think about Max Holloway, like some of the sparring rounds and I, like, I don't know who his training partners or anything, but like he's potentially getting worse than those sparring rounds. Like yeah. he's potentially lowering his level and not seeing the caliber of fight that he's going to see. So I think well, that's an interesting take. And also I've, I've had this talk with people. It's like, yes, he's not quote unquote sparring, but you know, as well as I do like top tier 
combat athletes, their play rounds, even if they're not sparring are still intense. Like if I'm not going full go live wrestling, but I'm just drilling wrestling, guess what? Drilling wrestling can be just as intense, if not more intense, if you're doing it right than a live go. So it's, he says he's not sparring. That doesn't mean that he's not working hard. That means he just understands that his brain has a lot of trauma. That's literally what it is. He understands his brain has a lot of trauma. He doesn't need to put more trauma or more miles on that brain outside of just stepping into the cage and getting paid to do so. That's why he doesn't do it. It's not that it's not for any other reason other than that. He said that on Joe Rogan. So, but for the most part, young guys, you don't have the brain power. You don't have the understanding. You don't have the wherewithal and the timing to get away with that. And a lot of people don't realize that because they haven't been to the hard. They just want to start training smart. So that's where, where does that leave us? That leave us with an initiation period? Do we do we go through hell week and, and make our athletes suffer on occasion? Well, see, I've, I've thought about this a lot because it's almost negligent knowing that, hey, it, it's almost negligent to try to push an athlete to a breaking point, right? To push an athlete to, to harm. Yeah. You never want to do that because it sacrifices your morals as a coach. But it almost seems like all of these athletes that are at the top had to push themselves to the absolute breaking point with what me and you would probably consider a shitty coach. And then from there, they found the right person that could tailor the exact same thing, the exact right thing to them. Almost every single champion doesn't just get there without going past their breaking point or going at least to their breaking point. So it's it's like this shitty initiation, like you said, where like you have to over-exaggerate a move, just like it's actually like how you train movement patterns. You over-exaggerate a movement pattern to understand what it really is. I used to do that with wrestling shots all the time. I would take big, huge sweeping steps as I was learning a sweep single so that I could understand that movement so that I could hit a tight circle because now I understand a bigger pattern. I can dial it down. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that you have to go through the fire, you know, to forge the the blade or whatever you want, however you want to look at it. Like, and I think for a lot of people and especially like MMA people, and I think this is where people get at like wrestling is the best base because of the amateur training is so hard. Like amateur wrestling NCAA wrestling is your fire. That's your, your shit that you go through. Right. And then when you come to MMA, shit almost gets easier. If if we're going to be honest, like it's all skill acquisition at that point and -hmm. like skill acquisition, you have it or you don't. Um, But it's not like the physical fucking grind that NCAA wrestling is or that um, whatever mode of wrestling Olympic, training center type of stuff you're doing so i think that that's an interesting point that like wrestlers know how to train and know how to go there in their mind you got to be able and again another kind of quote from our college wrestling rooms you got to be aware of and have been into the pain cave in order (laughs) to be confident that you can conquer it again right like (laughs) i know right i hate i hate the pain cave (laughs) but you have to know where it is you have to know where it is (laughs) if you don't know where it is and the first time you see that pain cave or that intensity is in a match or in a game or you're fucked you're you're so fucked like you have to see harder intensity than your game before you get there but before then your matchup then your whatever like i think uh, i think that's a valuable skill but like you said it's it's almost it's weird with coaches it's almost like i'm the coach that gets people in the pain cave and that's all i fucking do right or you can't you can't be both or you get the opposite effect where it's like you should never be sore let's make yeah, sure exactly. you feel good like it, 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 that fence playing is so it's there's such a gradient to that well it's like you have to pick a camp 
almost yeah. like yeah. it's it's very similar to everything else that's but they try to make it bifactorial when in when in reality it's it's so many different dimensions that you should be able to do both and both are right in certain circumstances but yeah. like there's and I feel like it's also with social media today. Like that's such a big thing right now with everybody trying to be like men- mental health focused and, and more like energy conscious and more like work-life balance oriented, everything shifting away from overworking yourself and fucking adversity. And like adversity plays a huge role in shaping who we are as people. Like, like, yeah, a lot of the shit that I went through was probably unnecessary. A lot of shit that a lot of athletes go through is probably unnecessary. For sure. The fucking adversity builds your character. Like when yep. we talk about like sports build character, whatever nonsense that means, like the adversity and the the approach to adversity and how you handle that can build character. You know, like, sure. so I think, I think that's, um, an interesting place for strength and conditioning. Like you have the opportunity to introduce that adversity to your athlete. I, I mean, and like within a certain context and it, it's always been funny to me, like, and I'm sure every combat athlete feels this way. Um, but like for a lot of sports, like strength and conditioning is the hardest shit that they do. I know. It's I so, know. It's so funny. Like I get like a, a lot of football players and I've been in around football weight rooms that like suck and um, put athletes to the stone. Like, and I get that, but for like me and for a lot of my athletes, it's like, what do you mean? Strength and dishing is the hardest shit. Like, no way. <laughs> I would lift all, all, I would lift weights all day over having to do a fucking grind match. Fuck <laughs> I know. that. Or like getting hit in the face. Like you literally yeah. get hit in the face of practice. And then somebody's going to tell me that picking up that trap bar, like a f- hundred times is the hardest shit that you do. Yeah. Get out of what? here. What? So I, I don't know. That's it's, it's, a little entertaining but at the same time it's like that's where strength conditioning comes from that's where like kind of the roots of strength conditioning are yeah but really i don't know i mean that's that's really all i want to talk about i don't want it to be too preachy it's just it's something that i, I keep seeing over and over again with me trying to tr- change the way that people train with me trying to bring a little bit more um i guess knowledge into strength conditioning not just oh let's grind it the fuck out it almost is like everything. It's a fucking pendulum. It doesn't just go where you want it to. It overcorrects to the other side before hopefully it swings back. And I've just noticed that the more people I keep telling like, Hey, let's be smarter about this. They don't actually push themselves to the threshold. They completely pull their foot off the gas pedal. And that's, that's also not okay. That's being undertrained is just as bad as being overtrained. <laughs> like that's you it's and good is a, range, right? It's not a, oh, there's one person or one certain thing that's good, but being extremely undertrained and being extremely overtrained do the exact same things to the body. I would almost, uh, and I, you know, this is a debate that we don't really have to dig into, but it's like, I would rather be overtrained than undertrained, right? Well, my saying that I tell people is I would rather you be 85% than 102% as far as training goes, but yeah. 85% isn't undertrained. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, that's true. Like, like People would, think that 60% is better than 102% and that's fucking wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would, I would rather have the confidence in my mind and know that I've been through some shit than yep. like the rest of my laurels or some fake confidence or whatever. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah I think that's what I think so. That's what we got without quote unquote getting preachy. Cause I feel like that might be where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> But all right. So that was a quick one. If y'all got to get hold of us, please 
shoot us a message at all of our information in the show notes, like share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. Um, and hit us up on our website as well. We have team program programs. We have individual programs. We have preset programs. We have low back programs. We got all the shit. So check it out, get a hold of us and see which program is right for you. And we'll try to elevate your guys' strength conditioning game. This is Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Friedman, and we are out. Thank you.